everyone and welcome to Next Generation Saints. Before we jump into this thing, I'd like to go ahead and have a little word from our sponsor. Everyone, welcome to Next Generation Saints. I'm your host, Nick Coons. So today I'm going to be doing an episode on Give Me an Answer, another broadcast of it. This is going to be with Pastor Cliff Connectly and Stuart Connectly. They are from Grace Community Church in New Canaan, Connecticut. The questions can be raised in this um, this broadcast is going to be about it, can truth be objective? Now, before we jump into this, I want to go ahead and remind everyone to like and subscribe to this podcast wherever you may be listening to podcasts at all. It really goes to help the pushing this out more into the algorithm. So, without further ado, enjoy. Give me an answer. No, no. Wait, 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 wait. No. That is what you said. Never once. No. That's dishonest of you. Or else I have to take a course in communication. I never said that once. If there is no God, all morality is relative, subjective. The only way there can be a moral objective truth, a moral absolute, is if there is some mind prior to the human mind who defines what is right and what is wrong. Otherwise, we define it and it's all relative. What's wrong with not being relative? It's not wrong with it being relative, but it totally contradicts your experience of life. If I want to rip her off because I define that as being good, and if, if you believe morality is relative, there's nothing wrong with me ripping her off. I'm smart. I'm going to get more money, I'm going to rip her off. I'm not stupid enough to get caught. <laughs> stupid people get caught, okay? I won't get caught, but I'll rip her off. Go ahead. I, I guess I'm confused. I can't tell if you're saying that uh, we do have relative experiences and thus we should like act accordingly, morally, or if in doing so, we're, we're not following a moral objectivity, which we should be, because it's sort of selfish. And to no, 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 no. All I'm saying is look at your experience of life. And I think your experience of life tells you that if I rip her off, not good. Really, really evil. If I abuse an innocent child, not good. Really warped. Really evil. If I go around slaughtering cats, because I love to do that. Like the Nazis. Think about what the Nazis did. The Nazis taught their soldiers how to execute Jews by first giving them little puppies. And after they bonded with the puppies, they ordered them to break the puppies' necks. So they desensitized their consciences. And if there is no God, it's all relative, buddy. Well, it's funny that you bring up um Nazis, because yeah. in the Holocaust, um, Nazi officers sort of enforced Kantianism, yes. which sort of went along with moral objectivity, and which very closely mirrors like the Bible, and that we have these set of rules, these duties, uh -huh. um, like the seven, whatever, like don't steal, don't whatever. Right. Okay, I don't know all the, but. <laughs> When you have when you when you have Kantian beliefs, it sort of gets a little muddled. Like I don't know if you heard like Solomon Kantian uh, this one. Oh, ma'am, it's real simple. We are not out here saying agree with Immanuel Kant. We, Stuart and I, are out here saying the evidence is that God exists. The evidence is that Jesus Christ revealed God accurately. Don't take it from us. Read the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John for yourself. 
ask yourself, does not the historical evidence of the way he lived, taught, died, and rose from the dead point to him being trustworthy? And if you're not going to put your faith in Christ, I respect your right, but if you claim to be a thinking person, I want to hear the better alternative backed up by the better evidence. I am, I've been doing this for 40 years, guys. And for 40 years, I've never had a professor or a student who has said, oh, there's just not enough evidence that Christ is the truth. Never once have I had a student or professor say, here is the better option that is supported by better evidence. Not once. It's embarrassing. Just think about that, guys. That's embarrassing. Even if there is enough evidence, I don't give a but, um, Thank you. <laughs> but You're honest. I, I feel like the Bible is sort of saying, here are these commandments, abide by them. Otherwise, so he's saying that that is an objective truth to morality. Otherwise, he's contradicting. He's saying with the commandments that there already is an objective tr truth, a relative truth or whatever. And I'm just saying this in, in, in contradiction to that. These are my rules now, not the... So, so our, my question is, sorry. No, you're, you're doing a great job. Thank you, ma'am. Yes. Objective truths, which God is saying we should follow because they are objectively correct, morally right. Good. Great question. The basis of morality is not, hey, man, buck up and follow the rules, will you? Follow the rules. Do a better job. Follow the rules. That is not it. It is a relationship with God who loves you. So much so that he created you to live for eternity with him. Now, he calls you to love others. If I want to steal from her, because I like what she's got in her backpack. God says that is not loving her. That is disrespecting her. If I want to lie to her, because I want to get my way, that is evil. Why? Because it is the antithesis of loving her. To love her means to respect her enough to speak the truth to her, not to lie to her. So all the Ten Commandments are is specifically defining what it looks like for me to love her. Hey, I love you. Let's go have sex. Not love. Wrong. Hey, I love you. I want to steal from you. Not love. Hey, I love you. I'm going to lie to you. Not love. In other words, love is not, oh, gushy, gushy, wow. Do whatever you want to. No. Love is, I want your well-being and I want her well-being. And if I lie to you, steal from you, or try and have sex with you, I'm an idiot who's using you. Don't use people. If the pretense of that is, like, love, and we yes. have to have evidence that, like, in that circumstance, love we should have that. That's what we should reach for because Back. there are instances where, say, we should not lie doesn't really work. You know what I mean? Like the common Kantian example of a murder knocking at your door and you're hiding an innocent man who that right. murder is trying to kill. Yeah. And to Kant, you don't lie to him because lying is bad and is immoral wrong. That, that doesn't really make sense. Yeah, so, I wouldn't follow Kant. Stuart, what do you think? Well, one of them is just being a free rider. You know, sure, I'll, I'll buy into what society is doing and these rules and regulations, but I can turn away from them if somehow it's going to help me, if it's going to benefit me, and I don't get caught. Does that make sense? As opposed to Christian morality, which is at all times, at all times, you are supposed to follow exactly the model of what Christ gave us, which is he became a slave in order for us to be saved and to understand we are to sacrifice for all to live for other people and not ourselves. That's why the number one commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, even your enemy. And no other philosophy or religion came even close to abiding by that type of ethic.
See, because back to your Nazi, your Nazi point, the, the Nazis, if when Hitler looked at the Bible and said, you know what, I could use this. But then all of a sudden realized, you know what, I, I actually can't use this if I'm going to head and really help the Aryan race and the Uberman and really fight for my own type of power. So he took from Nietzsche, right? He looked at the slave morality out of the Bible and he said, wait, you have to love all people? It's a type of slave morality. It's your dipping down rather than just seeking after the powerful. So from an evolutionary standpoint, it made sense the way he went. But if you would have taken the Bible, then you would have loved every single race, every single person, no matter what their philosophy of life was. So God believes in those principles, God, his forces, whatever he does in his principles, yet he sees the state of the world. So either he's not on the internet, or we shouldn't really follow him because we shouldn't do it. Well, if you're angry enough to get angry, if you're angry enough to get really upset with this God of the universe who created everything, wouldn't you say you probably should allow the God of the universe who created everything to have answers to your questions that he doesn't give you immediately? See, if you're this angry at this God who allows suffering, well, why in the world wouldn't you humble yourself to the point of understanding that goodness could come out of the suffering? How do I know for certain that this suffering is all bad? Well, that's all easy when you're standing here in South Carolina shoes and like probably like an apartment or something you know yeah it's a pretty easy thing to say right as opposed to the hordes of people i met in haiti right after the earthquake just about all of them were christians singing in the streets singing in the streets after the earthquake understanding that they would see their loved ones again understanding that they could rebuild because this is a progressive society based off of christianity rather than a society that's, say, like Islam, that's cyclical, or Hinduism, cyclical, you know, more cyclical in the sense of we're just going to come back as a cockroach, and there's no real linear understanding of there's a heaven out there. And so that they could actually love their loved ones, they could struggle through suffering and their poverty, and say there is going to be the kingdom of heaven that I can still reach for. So, so they, they didn't lose their faith in suffering. Stick with your question. They grew in their faith when suffering occurred. We would love to yeah. hear from you. Why are Haitians Christians? Right. I love the yeah. 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 Why are Haitians Christians? You raised the question, we're asking you. Give us an answer. Why are Haitians Christians? Why is the majority of Sub-Sahara Africa Christians? Why? Well, first of all, I mean, this, uh, aside from what I was point out, uh, it's, 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 it's pretty nice to have some view to look up to um, that gives you hope, that says my life has purpose, my life has meaning, uh, whatever the hard thing I'm going through right now, I can make it through it, because God loves me um, when you're poor. <laughs> Okay. okay, so, so the same Sorry, thing you said to him applies to you. You're a white woman living in South Carolina, pretty nice, and you're saying, I know why those poor Haitians believe in Jesus, because they need a hand up. They need a foot up. They need whatever help they can get, so they're going to believe in Jesus. Because But I'm a white, educated American, and that's my analysis. Okay, and, and is that true also for Sub-Saharan Africa, the way the highest percentage of Sub-Saharan Africa is Christian, is that because they're... They're just not as smart. 
I mean, no. Gosh, they just haven't had the education that we get here at this fine university. So those dummies believe in Jesus. Can you believe it, Stuart? They really need to work on themselves. Gosh, I mean, it's incredible, isn't it? Why are you an atheist? It's the same type of reasoning. It's a genetic fallacy. You're, you're just living into the genetic fallacy. It's you're an atheist because you grew up in the enlightened understanding of the Western world. See, if you go with this line of reasoning, you're just going to say that everybody is just the product of sociology of knowledge, which is basically those around them have influenced and fully decided on their thinking. So it's your parents passed down your atheism or your Christianity. You really think you can't think for yourself and step out of that and say, you know what, my parents actually might have the wrong type of evidence here with their atheism or Christianity. Of course not. My parents were Christian. Okay. Um, but do you think it's a coincidence that we have these hot spots? Do you think all the Catholics were magically spawned in Latin America, or do you think they were colonized by the white Catholics from Europe? And just like England, only 6% go to church. Why is that? Because of the influence of the enlightenment. See, it cuts both ways. Cuts both ways. Kant and others. The atheists so frequently want to just pick on certain hotspots of the world, but then they miss their own hotspot and think that they're the only ones who really take part in critical thinking. No, I think they all take part in critical thinking, obviously, but um, I think there's a lot of people. This one's Yep, everybody. You too, yep. My atheist friends, majority of them came from atheist households. Oh, no. Majority of my Christian friends came from Christian households. It's the sociology of knowledge. Majority atheist country. What? I think it's a different board in the South. I mean, it's not like uh -huh. I would. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. You are an outlier. Beautiful. There's outlier Christians too. Outlier Hindus as well. Right? See how that breaks down? I don't know. I, I still... Um, I still don't see how... Like, if you really... If you really strip this out, like, from the very beginning, do you think any of this would form in the same way? Like, if, we, if there were a thousand lifetimes, then... Every single one of those lifetimes, we would all just like, I think God would be the same. We'd all be Christians or Muslim or whatever. I don't know. Sorry. See, was Jesus a historical figure? Say, are the Gospels credible historical documents? And then you start to decide, okay, they were or they weren't. And if they were, Christians, what the claim is, is that they have a personal relationship with God, access even Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit through the Gospels. And through that experience, you become a Christian. You don't just remain an egghead saying, oh, yeah, the evidence for Christ is pretty strong, and I'm just going to remain and buy into this rational thinking. Right? You, you have to think through, but then you get to the experiential side. Rationality can get you up to the door, but then it's the experience that gets you through the door, saying that this makes sense in my life. Uh, babies are innocent. Do you believe those, like they would just be off to heaven because it was a nuisance that they couldn't account for? I, the Bible never answers the question exactly what God's going to do with babies. But the overwhelming evidence, when you look at Jesus gathering children in his arms, when you read 2 Samuel chapter 12 about David looking forward to seeing his child who died with Bathsheba after he committed adultery and murdered Uriah, he looks forward to seeing that child one day. So I am convinced that babies will be in heaven. 
They never rejected God. They never made a decision to separate themselves from God. But all of us here, we have made a decision, beginning with me, because I'm older than all of you guys put together. All right? And I made my own decision to rebel against God. I deserve hell. But God loves this sinner so much, he sent his son Christ to bleed and die on a cross for my sin. I put my faith in him, and he's given me something I don't deserve, forgiveness and eternal life. Now, guys, don't take it from me. You don't know me from Adam. Go to the source documents, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read them for yourself and ask yourself, does not the evidence point to Christ being reliable? He lived a sinless life. He taught amazing ethical teachings. Come on, guys. The Sermon on the Mount, that's ethical genius. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Ethical genius. Thirdly, he dies forgiving his enemies. Yeah, I'd had a few words for people who nailed me to a cross, and it wouldn't be, forgive him, Father. It would be, stick it to him, Father. Not Jesus. He prays, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But fourthly, and most importantly, three days after he dies, he rises from the dead, and over a period of 40 days, he doesn't appear to Peter and James. He appears to over 500 people, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, who see him risen from the dead. Guys, it's a no-brainer. Jesus is reliable. You can trust Christ. Don't trust me. I'm a sinner. Trust Christ. He won't rip you off. Does that make sense? You see, ma'am, obviously the point, I was trying to make two points with you. You know how frustrated I am with anthropology professors who sit back, or humanities professors, on major university campuses and say, Sub-Saharan, Sub-Sahara Africans, we all know why they believe in Jesus. Because of colonization. Because they're nitwits. And they had the stupidity of believing these white missionaries. Ma'am, have you ever considered how elitist that is? It's not stupid. That is elitism it's up the wazoo. It's, it's elitism. It's forced down your throat. There is no African today that I know of who had Jesus forced down their throat. I got a lot of African friends. I pastor a church. We got a lot of people from Ghana in the church. And I can promise you, not one of them had Jesus Christ slammed down their throat. Not one. These are doctors and lawyers and business people. These are incredibly well-educated people from Ghana, Africa, and they believe in Jesus because the evidence is Christ is reliable. Not because they had some white missionary come and jam Jesus down their throat. And it is so elitist for anthropology professors on this campus or other campuses to portray Africans, those dumb nitwit Africans. They believe in Jesus because they had Jesus slammed down their throat by some colonialist. That is so elitist and biased, it's pathetic. So you don't think there's any correlation between colonized populations and their beliefs coinciding with the beliefs of the colonizer? I can promise no you, there. I can promise you, a lot of white missionaries did tell Africans about Jesus. That is correct. And those Africans responded in faith. But those same Africans that accepted Christ reject American materialism. American secularism, because they know the spiritual is real, and they know that America and the West is spiritually bankrupt. So my African brothers and sisters have had the open-mindedness to accept Jesus Christ and to reject American materialism. Bravo, Africa. Don't lose it. She was thinking that because of white bunch of white nationalists, I just said a bunch of white nationalists pushed Christianity down your throat. Christianity was in Africa before Euro. Whoa. Did you hear that? 
Christianity was in Africa before Europe. Yeah, like Ethiopia. Go ahead, keep going, brother. The um, Ethiopian Bible is older than the King James And Thank Bible. you. That's exactly right. The argument that Christianity brought, uh, that colonial, colonialism brought Christianity to Africa is completely wrong. Why is it completely wrong? Because Christianity was already in Africa before Europe. Christianity was in Africa before Europe. Everybody hear that? And uh, one thing you need to know is that Christianity is not a European religion. Whoa, whoa, whoa. One more time. Real loud. <laughs> Christianity is not a European religion. Man, you're awesome. <laughs> Christianity is not a white European faith religion. Keep going, brother. I like so you. Jesus wasn't white. Jesus like was not white. Keep going. Yeah. So he looks more like, you know, uh, the Jews. He, he was a Jewish man, right? So he was kind of brown. And um, even though, um, you know, the Europeans brought um, European culture to Africa, for example, I'm from Nigeria, right? So the missionaries came to Nigeria and they set up schools and all that. So one thing you need to ask yourself is, why did the people there choose to accept this religion? And one of the reasons why they chose to accept this religion was that some of the values being propagated by this religion already aligned with their values. So for example, the Igbo people we call, um, you know, they, they had names that they would call God, right? The Yorubas, they had names that they would call God. So they had a framework for these things already, right? So the Europeans came in and they, brought the Christian religion, and immediately these people accepted it. Now, the, the missionaries came before the colonial masters came. So it was after the missionaries came in and they set up schools and missions and all those things that, you know, British started the colonial endeavor in Africa. So Christianity already had, a, you know, a strong foundation in Africa, even before the British came in with colonialism came in with, uh, the French came in with uh, assimilation, and the British came in with the principle of association. So these people already had a foundation for the idea that there is God. And some we call God Oloru, you know, some, we, like where I'm from, they call God Ogene, right? So these people, the um, missionaries came in and they said, okay, this is Jesus that you are talking about. So I, I, I can stay, I have class in a, in a few minutes, I can stay and give you like historical facts about, you know, how these people already had an idea of who Jesus is. And the Europeans came in and they just, you know, put more structure into the understanding that they, they already have. Um, I know that Nigeria was colonized by England yeah. and that the north of Nigeria is mostly Muslim yeah. and that the south is... Um, the mostly south Christian. where the ports were, yeah. um, where the, the English came, yeah. is mostly Christian. Yeah. So do you think that that is a coincidence? <laughs> no, that is not a coincidence. So what the Muslims do is they go to a region and they force the people to accept their faith. So if you don't accept, they kill you. So they carry out, he carried out that jihad from the north. He conquered several territories. And then he was coming toward the south. So it was the, there's the, um, I don't know if you've heard of the Benin Kingdom. 
the Benin Kingdom. It was the army of the Benin Kingdom in Auchi, Edo State, that stopped the advance. So that is why some parts of Auchi in Edo State, Nigeria, they are Muslims, because that was where the jihad stopped. So the reason most of those places are, Christ are Muslim places today is because there was a Muslim army that carried out a jihad. And, it's, you know, even some of the Muslim regions today in Europe, it was basically the same uh, reason. You know, they carry out what they call holy war, and they take it to different territories. If you don't accept the faith, you are slaughtered. So that is how they set up those Muslim empires in different parts of, of uh, Nigeria. Do you know how far back um, Christianity or Islam or anything um, dates in Africa? Or does it, like, was it there, like, prehistorically, or did it come mostly from um, the Middle East? If you look at places like Ethiopia and Egypt, Christianity was already there early, like, you know, pretty early, right? So, like I said, it was there even before Europe. But if you look at the, um, Ethiopia, Ethiopia had this kind of relationship with Israel. So there were also Jews in Ethiopia. So they already had a foundation for the Christian faith, right? So uh, looking at Islam, I may not be completely right about this, but most of the spread of Islam in Africa, even in Egypt, was due to jihad. But I know about Nigeria, the spread of Islam in Nigeria is due to jihad. But I'm not so sure about some of the northern um, uh, countries, northern African countries that are Muslims, but I know in Egypt, it's due to jihad, carrying out uh, holy war in Algeria, because Algeria had a very strong um, Christian uh, um, community, even before the Muslims came in. Uh, I think it was St. Augustine was moving through, you know, Algeria and those northern African countries even before the Muslims came in. They had, uh, there was a Coptic church, they had monasteries in northern Africa even before the Muslims came in. So the spread of Islam in those parts of Africa was due to a holy war. And that is how the spread. And that, I believe that is how the spread in a lot of places in Europe as well. Thank but one you. thing I would like you to know is this, Jesus loves you and it's more than a religion. Right. It's a relationship. See, I grew up in a Christian home, but I didn't know Jesus. I'm a grad student here. It was when I got to university in Nigeria, University of Benin, that I saw people that were on fire for God. That I saw people that were, you know, I encountered Jesus in a personal way. So for me, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. I know him. In 2014, I was so desperate for God. I said, Jesus, if you are real, I want to know you. I know my parents say they are Christians, people say they are Christians, but I want to know you. I locked myself in my room, I prayed, and I said, Jesus, if you are real, I want to encounter you. And I saw him. Like Paul said, he said, I know whom I have believed. He said, I've seen Jesus. I saw him. And when I speak about him, it's not because someone told me about him or I read him somewhere. I encountered him in a personal way. He's more real than the church, than this church that you are putting on. He's alive and he's speaking to your hearts today. So don't hold back. Yeah. It's, it's not because I'm scared that one day, I, oh, oh I, I don't want to go to hell. I know what he has done for me. John said, because he loved, he first loved us. So when you know the worth of his love, that God became man and died for you on the cross, then you can freely now return that love back to him. You cannot know that love unless you first embrace the love that he has loved you with. And Jesus loved you so much. He loves you so much. Don't let the things that is being, you know, there's, there's a lot of things being said in this generation, you know, trying to program the minds of people to rebel against the things of God. And we think we are white. But Jesus loves us so much and he's calling each and every one of us for a personal relationship with him, to know his voice, to have fellowship with him, 
And he says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. So the more you draw to him, the more he'll be drawing to you. And as long as you do that, very soon you'll be swallowed up in life. And like C.T. Stodd once said, he said, one life to live, it will soon be passed. And only that which is, which is done for Christ will last. So at the end, each and every one of us, we stand before this Jesus. And we give account to him for the way we live our life on this earth. Your breath is not yours. He gave it to you. He breathed that life into you. And one day you give account to him for the way you spend the breath that he gave to you to walk on this earth. I'd like to invite you to Grace Community Church located at 365 Lukeswood Road in New Canaan, Connecticut. Our services are at 9.30 a.m. and 5.30 p.m. on Sundays. Hope you can join us. back to next generation the saints before i get my final closing words on this entire broadcast i want to go ahead and uh let's hear one more time for our sponsor come back so i hope everyone really enjoyed this broadcast i hope that they felt inspired maybe answered a few questions and maybe caused them to critically think over christianity and different world views as always i want to ask everyone to go ahead and like and subscribe to this podcast so wherever you may be listening to the podcast whatsoever and uh, until next time we meet again May God richly bless you all, my dearly beloved.